HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Hello, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Elena Santagade. My guest today is Missy Hughes, Chief Mission Officer and General Counsel for Organic Valley, the nation's largest and oldest organic dairy cooperative. Missy also sits as Vice President on the Board of Directors for the Organic Trade Association and serves as the USDA's advi- and serves on the USDA's Advisory Committee on Biotechnology and 21st Century Agri- Agriculture. Whew, that's a mouthful. And breaking news, Missy is about to become CEO of the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation as of, I believe, October 1st, 2019. So a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, As we head into a new political season here in the U.S., I'm especially excited to have Missy in studio to chat about her experience working with legislators and government agencies as she advocates for things we care a lot about at Heritage Radio Network nationwide access to organic products, animal welfare, farm worker rights, and good stewardship of the earth. I'm also excited to hear more about how things operate at Organic Valley and what the independent company is doing to support dairy farmers around the country. So much to discuss. Missy, welcome to Cutting the Curd. Thanks, Elena. Thank you so much for having me. So we in the dairy industry are big fans of cooperative businesses. And I've read that Organic Valley prides itself on remaining independent of Wall Street, and serving only your customers and farmers. Can you tell us a bit about how Organic Valley works as a business structure? How does democracy play out within the company? What's your world like there? I think our listeners will be really curious to get more of an insider view. Yeah, so Organic Valley is this wild beast. It's got (laughs) 2,000, a little bit, 2,000 plus family farm Mm -hmm. owners. So those are people, those farmers are all over the country? Yeah, 36 states and also Australia and the United Kingdom. Wow. So we have, we're essentially owned by the farmers. Mm -hmm. So when you think about a traditional corporation and they have shareholders, Mm -hmm. well, our owners are the farmers. Got it. And so every farmer has a vote. And participates with the co-op by selling their products to the co-op, and then we take them out to market. Mm -hmm. And we have seven farmers who are our board members. In order to serve on the board of directors, you have to be an active farmer shipping with the co-op. So I work with farmers um, on our board from New York, 
Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Ohio, and Oregon. Wow. So all across the United States, they come together once a month to help us figure out how to run the co-op and do the best that we can for all the farmers. And these people are, they are running live farms Real oh, yeah, farming absolutely. happening. Amazing. Oh, yeah. these they're, they're going, you know, they leave the building, they leave our boardroom, and they head home to their farms. I just talked to one of our farmers who was cutting hay. Amazing. And, you know, and then another farmer told me he heard the news about my job while he was walking back <laughs> from the barn after milking the cows. So that was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh-huh. So they, are, they, you know, it's amazing the work that they do because they're running their own businesses mm. 28 days a month, and then they come in and meet with us two days a month and, and help us figure out how to run the co-op. Wow. And so, so you've got these cooperatives, you've got that board of directors, and you are kind of navigating between the board of directors, the larger group of cooperative farmers, yeah. setting priorities, making decisions. So one of the things that um, is a real challenge is how do you create a conversation with 2,000 farmers? Yeah, it's huge. All around the country. And farmers are very opinionated. Mm. So they want to give their opinions. They want to participate in the governance of the co-op. We have a whole committee structure where the Mm. farmers come together and they talk about issues. We have um, farmers who talk about pay price, which is really important. You know, how Mm. much are we going to... They're paying themselves through the co-op. So how much are we going to get paid in order to support the co-op, but also to make sure we can stay on our farms? Mm -hmm. They talk about things like animal standards, animal care standards. Mm. They talk about pasture. How much should our cows be out on pasture? How many square feet should the um, chickens have for laying eggs? Like they, you know, this is them making decisions about how they want to farm. And then those carrying, carrying that through to the whole co-op. So Organic Valley basically has stipulations for those categories in a sense, saying our farmers have this certain amount of space for a chicken or farm in this specific type of way. Absolutely. Membership with the co-op is a privilege. Hmm. So our farmers all recognize that. Integrity is our strength. So they come forward and they say, this is how we're going to farm. And this is how we expect our neighbor, our members to farm Mm -hmm. with us. And on that committee structure, are we talking like a dozen committees? You have 20 committees. We've we've talked a lot on air with like co-ops of all kinds. And on the retail side, I know that like the committee, the world of co-op committees can get pretty huge. (laughs) The list can be long. The list is long. We, long. we call it a mess map of yeah. all of our committees and how they work together. And mm. it's really interesting. So we started as seven farmers in 1988. Wow. And everybody was around the table. Mm. And then you add, you know, you add five farmers. Everybody's still around the table. Right. You, you add still another have a 10 farmers. Everybody's still. Mm-hmm. But once you get to 2,000 or, you wow. know, we have about maybe 300 farmer leaders who mm. really want to participate a lot. But 300 is a lot to have a conversation with, especially when they're all around the country. So we're working really hard to figure out how do we make sure that, you know, the right conversation is happening. Not one person is dominating. Mm -hmm. We're doing leadership training so that we can figure out how to have these group conversations. But it's really Mm -hmm. in the DNA of the co-op, as with many Mm co-ops, to figure out that humans working together. Right. So it's, it's it's an amazing thing to watch. And it's Really, one of the key parts of my work at OV is to help make that happen. And it's been really rewarding to have those conversations and to facilitate that that work, especially between the board and the farmers. And how do your farm, how do those farmer leaders emerge? Like if if a farmer wants to be a leader and more active in a committee, how does that happen? A lot of the times 
we see them kind of emerge. It's, mm. it's a self-selection, right? Mm. You have to have the, the time and the interest in doing that. A lot of farmers want to stay on their farms and, you know, take care of their right. animals and take care of their land. And that's fantastic. Right. Then we have a lot of farmers who want to, you know, they show up at the annual meeting. They show up at regional meetings. They call. And mm-hmm. so we, have, you know, we, we. It becomes obvious. It becomes obvious. And in so many ways where you see leaders emerge in so many ways, um, that's what happens at OV. Hmm. That's really, really interesting. It's it's amazing to think about the scale, but sort of that same the same same fundamentals of like just grappling with the human element in leadership and decision making. And then the board of directors, do they kind of act as a final governing body in some way? They do. They do. Yeah. So they take in all of this feedback and all of this information, they reflect on their own experience and then they help us make decisions for how to run the co-op based on that. But let me add a really interesting twist that Mm. I want to give your your listeners about OV, which is about 40% of our membership. So remember I said we had 2,000 farms. About Mm -hmm. 40% of our membership is what we call the plain community. Mm -hmm. So it's either Amish or Mennonite. Okay. So now we have a group of people who are not participating on the internet. Right. They're not participating necessarily on phones, but they want to be a part of the co-op and they want to really participate. So it's, it's almost like slow communication (laughs) right you have to figure out like okay we have to take the time to make sure Mm. that everybody has a chance to participate to get the news to hear the information and then come back with it and that that's just wild in this day and age and like really cool an amazing challenge well i'm I'm interrupting you no do it the amazing thing is that you know the playing community has worked very very hard over the years on how to make community decisions mm. and how to think about the best for the whole and mm. you know how do you support each other but the community is really important so we've actually learned a ton from, from them group. about yeah. how to be the best co-op that we can be wow. and how to make decisions that are where you listen to everybody and then you move forward mm. so it's actually we learn a lot from them and they learn a lot from us. Very so it's pretty, interesting. It's pretty cool. Well, my next question was going to be like, what tools do you use to coordinate all of this? And I was expecting, you know, certain like technology, different yeah, Slack apps. is not it. Slack is not it. <laughs> no. How could you possibly do it without Slack? Yeah, no, we exist okay, without so, Slack. So how do you do it? Is it like newsletter? Is it... How do you broadcast this? Yeah, we have we have newsletters that go out. Um, on you know, paper. we just yeah, paper <laughs> and snail mail. Amazing are things that we use. We actually are working to really figure out the best way to communicate with the farmers, but we do have to always take into consideration because mm. sometimes there are things we got to move fast on. Right, and you know, especially in this highly competitive food marketplace that we're in right now with right. you know huge global corporations. Right, and yet we're figuring out like okay, but wait, we got to hear from Ernest. You know, so. <laughs> We gotta just like take He's the time in the middle to do of that. Ohio. He's in the he middle doesn't of Ohio. have a phone. Yeah, but wow. you know we we've figured it out and and we're able to do it. In a way, do you feel like because there almost can't be a total immediacy about decision making or or communication? Does is there an upside to that? Well, I think a lot of co-ops struggle with getting too far down into the weeds. Mm. And so this actually enables us to have higher level conversations because the mm. stuff that has to go fast has to go fast. And, right. and we make those decisions, you know, as we need to for the best of the business. But big policy decisions, things like animal care standards mm-hmm. or pasture standards, we take the time with that, especially because it ends up impacting the farming yeah. and how our farmers are 
um, you know, approaching their organic systems and all of that. So you don't want to make those decisions necessarily fast. Right. We actually have what's what in a lot of times is what's called the two meeting rule mm-hmm. where okay. you introduce the idea and then a meeting mm. later, you come to a decision. That's when you're really but talking about it. Everybody yeah. gets a chance to go out and milk their cows and ride their tractors and, you know, and work the farms and then come back and think about it I and like give that. it their opinion. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. When I was dating, I used to have the two-date minimum. There. Yeah, yeah. It's about the same Similar. thing. Similar. Yeah. <laughs> How did those decisions work out for you? <laughs> you, know, you know on the first yeah. date, I think. Yeah. It's nice to have a two-date minimum, but now we're totally getting off track. Right. <laughs> You mentioned that uh, you mentioned like that you're working with global corporations that you're in a really intense marketplace. I've been wondering like with these goals of you know promoting all of those good things I listed at the top of the episode, all the things that we care about a lot here on cutting the curd. How do you leverage what you have with huge national and international even retailers that have buying power that's like you know Amazon proportions and actually is Amazon in the case of Whole Foods, how do you negotiate, uh, you know, your pricing to, and your sort of standards to the point where you can actually bring those, that level of quality back to your farmers? It takes a lot of relationship building, Hmm. um, which is a challenge when people are coming and going from jobs. But what we do is we spend a lot of time with the buyers for these corporations or these retailers and we you know tell them about organic valley i was just at a huge retailer two weeks ago and i was amazed with how much the person knew about ov Mm. and how supportive they were of our mission so it was really great because they really recognized that the shoppers that are coming into their stores are looking for our products and right. so they, they are realizing, I need to have your products in my store. Hmm. And just that back and forth and that education is really critical. Um, you know, sometimes they're moving fast and they're like, I just want the shredded cheese. Give me the shredded yeah. cheese. And What's we're like, the all price? right, we got the shredded cheese. But, <laughs> to, you know, and then when they turn to us and they're like, wow, you know, your price is, is hmm. a challenge. I say, you know, we're able to explain that this is our farmers and they're trying to stay on their farms. And, oh, remember, you love our story. Right. And remember, you know, you want to have what your consumers are looking for as far as quality and animal care. And so we're able to provide that. Mm, Right. So it's really the added value that has to come through in that space. And so many consumers are going into stores now and looking for not only the the quality that they're looking for, but also the story that they believe in. Hmm. You mentioned that, you know, this incredible growth from 1988 to today at OV, which is wild to go from seven farmers to 2000 all across the world, basically. Uh, You know, have you have you noticed is the demand greater for organic? Are you bringing in people who are more first generation farmers or is it more that you've amassed a group of people who maybe were out there but not organized together as much? So are you asking about the consumers or the farmers? The farmers, yeah. I guess, first. But then we'll let's talk about the consumers. So there was a, a wave of, of farmers that came in because they believed that organic farming was the right way to farm. Mm. And that was our founding pol- philosophy and then, you know, carried through for many years. There's also a real economic benefit for organic farming. Mm. You're actually paid to produce beautiful food right. and you're paid a sustainable living wage where you can stay on your farm. Mm. And, or, you know, at, in this case of the co-op, you earn that yourself because you're owning the co-op. Right. So we had another wave of farmers come into organic who, you know, some might say, well, they just came for the economic benefit. 
But the reality is I don't, I can't think of a single farmer who would go back to conventional farming. Once they've transitioned, Mm. they see the health of their animals. Mm. They see the health of the soil and the plants. And they're like, absolutely. Even if I wasn't able to ship organically, I would still always farm Mm. this way. So we have, we have been able to educate farmers. We have one of the most amazing um, bodies of work of how to farm organically at Mm. Organic Valley. We teach our farmers how to farm organically. We have organic vets that go and help the farmers, Mm. you know, care for the animals. Often, once you're organic for a while, your animals are are quite healthy and you don't need a vet. But, you know, during that transition phase, it's important to provide the support. When you're used to doing it one way. Yeah. So we provide a ton of support Mm. for our farmers and it's really great. And, and, And the farmer... Farmer to farmer conversations is really where the the brilliance comes. Right. You know, hey, how do you handle this? What do you do for this? Sharing and that they knowledge. Tell each other. Yeah. Wow. And do you find that when you had that second wave, it was pe- it was mostly people who were farming conventionally and started to see the benefit or the even the price benefit in terms of what they could get. Yeah. I w- I mean, out of all of our farmers, mm-hmm. I would say probably ninety percent of them were farming conventionally mm. and then transitioned to organic. We wow. don't have a ton of kind of beginning from the very first. Right. We have a few. One of our board members, in fact, um, started farming mm. and became an organic farmer but um, and never farmed conventionally. But for the very most part, most of our farmers transitioned from conventional to organic. Got it. Now, on the consumer side, when you're, having those ne- when you're doing those negotiations with the big retailers, how have you seen that landscape change over the, your tenure at Organic Valley? Um, you know, there's the organic consumer, the, especially the organic mom, mm-hmm. um, comes in and wants to provide the very best for her newborn and for her, you know, growing right. up child. And so dairy is a really natural place to do that. Mm-hmm. Organic produce is also a really natural place. First thing you see right. when you walk into the store. Right. And so we had the ability to really grow the organic industry and, and Organic Valley really grew on the strength of people becoming more aware. The internet has made amazing things as Mm. far as knowledge goes, right? So we have people more and more aware of, I want to know where my food comes from, Mm. and I want to know how it was grown, and I want to know that when I'm providing that to my family, it's the very best. And so we've been able to really do that. Um, The organic seal, which is what's on all organic food, it's, it's the best gold standard of enforcement. It's enforced mm-hmm. by the federal government. It's mm-hmm. third-party verified. There's an inspection every year. It's the highest standard, and the and the consumers really trust hmm. the organic seal. So that, you know, after years and years of education, it feels right. really good to know that people know. Right. They might not know the intricacies of it, and that's okay. Yeah, you but know? it's like, oh, there's the stamp. That's right. it. That's there's it. The stamp. Got I got it. it. Yeah. I understand yep. what's all sort of vaguely wrapped up right. in that. There's a challenge where some folks try to be oh just like organic without the seal right and so you know for your listeners who care about good food i'd encourage you to look for the seal because Mm -hmm. that helps support a whole good food movement like Mm -hmm. the whole food movement is based in the idea of knowing where your food comes from and while you don't have to buy everything organic having that kind of hallmark out there that model of how to do it right is i think really really important to whole companies to a certain standard and then make sure like, okay, I know when you're fooling me and right. I know when you're telling me the truth. Right. I mean, there, it's, there's a lot to navigate as a consumer for yeah, sure. Definitely. Really interesting. Well, I think we're actually going to jump out for our break. Okay, great. Real quick, but listeners we will be right back with Missy Hughes of Organic Valley.
Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm Elena Santigade, and I'm here with Missy Hughes, Chief Mission Officer and General Counsel at Organic Valley. So before the break, we were talking about a lot about how Organic Valley is con- constructed as a business, as a co-op, uh, about the farmers, a little bit about the consumers. Now I'm curious to hear about your work with government agencies, our legislators, you know, how you've been advocating for organic farming in general and dairy farming specifically. How much of your time does that part of the work take? It takes a lot of brain space. I can Mm. tell you that for Mm. sure. Um, I think that the farmer's participation in the government is really important because Mm -hmm. there isn't a lot of voice for farmers. Nobody really, you know, sits down. There's some folks eating some beautiful pizza right in front of us. And I'm not Mm -hmm. really sure they're thinking about where their food came from, especially because they're looking at their phones. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, someone's got to do it. And in my experience, going to Washington, D.C., especially because that's where a lot of my focus is, Mm -hmm. um, is one thing when I go and talk. When I bring a farmer, Mm. the the senators or the Senate staff and the the congressman staff, they lean in and Mm. they really want to hear because you don't often get to talk to an actual real life. No, I mean it's not often that those people are driving through the Midwestern plains, like ready to pull over. They're flying over, right? right. So everybody's flyover (laughs) country where we live, and so it's really important to bring the farmer voice because Mm. they have a perspective on what they're doing day in and day out that really is is very difficult to convey. Totally. So I've been able to do the most amazing work of going and representing the farmers and bringing farmers with mm. me, um, both on the organic side of things, but also on farming in general. Mm. And where organic is really important, as I kind of mentioned before the break, organic is all regulated by the USDA, which is right. the US um, Department of Agriculture. And so it's really important to be engaged with the USDA to make sure that the organic seal stays really strong. Mm. There's some conversation out in the universe about how, oh, they're trying to water down the organic standards. But the reality is the standards have gotten much tougher over the years. We really strengthened the the pasture standards a few years ago. We're working very hard to strengthen the animal welfare standards right now to Mm. make sure that you know, everybody is on a level playing field. Right. And so having that conversation with the governor, government is really important and working on that day in, day out, because mm-hmm. nobody else is asking for tougher regulations except for the organic farmers and That's the organic so industry. Yeah, no, we're like, bring it. What do you yeah. got? We want tough regulation. We want to be enforced huh. because that's our seal with the consumers, and that's that right. trust that we were talking about and with the consumers. And that value-added yeah. piece. That's your right. slot in that national retailer, right? Exactly. And, and why it's you really important it. to be able to have that and, hmm. and not have any doubt about the integrity of that seal. So I've been do- able to do that. You mentioned um, 
in your intro that I've worked on the advisory committee for biotechnology yes. in the 21st century. Very exciting. It was really, it's, it's um, taking a little bit of a respite right now, but it was really an interesting conversation about how do all these different types of agriculture exist together in mm-hmm. the United States, whether it's organic or non-GMO or identity preserved or big production agriculture. Mm. How does this all work together? Mm -hmm. And again, it's just, you know, this idea of bringing humans together for a conversation, that's what it was. And it was really an amazing experience to go through and to be a part of. Uh Um, You know, all this stuff is really slow moving. Right. And I feel like everything in my, you know, (laughs) slow communication. Well, you know, if you think about it at the core, it's like dairy animals are slow. It is. The cows aren't running around. They're moving slowly. Yeah. So <laughs> slow food and all that. of that is fantastic. But, it, you know, and, and engaging in these these deep policy conversations is really mm-hmm. important to take the time and do it well. Hmm. So I'm, I've really enjoyed that work. So on that committee where you look, you know, with this idea of like the 21st century agriculture, were you looking at new technology that farms can use? Were you talking about sustainability of energy practices? I know that Organic Valley recently announced that they're you're using only renewable energy. You're fully fueled by renewable we energy. We are. We have an amazing solar and wind network. So we are, yeah, we're 100% renewable energy, really which is cool. really amazing. I was reading about how some of the farms that have installed solar panels on the farm are like using their dairy animals, their sheep or goats, um, I can't remember which one it was, but to actually graze around the solar panels so that the panels aren't, one issue with installing panels on farms is that the grass grows a little too high and can actually block them. And I thought, yes, this is like new technology with old technology that's all I think there was together. a little bit of a challenge with some goats jumping up onto the panels, but I am you know, not we're working surprised, on that. Not know. surprised at all to hear that. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I, uh, the most amazing thing, both on the, the committee, but then working with the farmers, mm-hmm. is the every farmer, regardless of how they farm, considers themselves to be a steward of the land. Mm. And so that means, you know, not only the the land, but the water around it and the right. air. And they are thinking about climate change. Mm. They're ground zero for climate change. At any given moment, you know, with, with farmers in 36 states around the country, at any given moment, we have some region that's experiencing, whether mm-hmm. it's a drought right. or flooding or some kind of extreme, some extreme heat. Thing. Like, it's happening all the time. Mm. And no matter what, you know, the farmers, if you talk to them, oh, yeah, the crop will come in next year. You know, the, 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 the relentless, optimism. Uh, the relentless optimism <laughs> is just sometimes like, wow, how do you keep that going? But that's how, you know, you have to have that long-term view. Right. And the farmers really do. But at the same time, they recognize that they're a part of that overall system mm. and need to help it go. And so whether, you know, any kind of farmers that I talk to working with in D.C. or all the farmers around the country, that's at their heart. And you have to you have to respect that more than anything. Hmm. Do you have a committee on climate change or new technology? We have, um, you know, our farmers are committed to continuous improvement and mm-hmm. to be thinking about it. But a lot of our farmers are working hard on their farms. Yeah. And so we actually have a whole team that's thinking about how to bring forward new ideas mm-hmm. onto the farms, how to interact with the government to maybe get grants or benefits. Right. Um, we actually have a big challenge that I, I probably would get in trouble if I talked to you about right now. But mm. that is really might break open a lot of how you bring on-farm renewables to create a big network and Hmm. and really blow it out of the water. So we're excited about that. That's great. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I was especially excited to see the, 
the development of all those of those new solar farms that you guys were supporting amidst all of this tariff news because yeah. a lot of those solar panels are made in China and cost money. So uh, it's it was very cool to see that happening amidst that landscape. Well, the and the so for your for your uh, listeners, we just opened a big solar farm um, right off of one of our headquarters. And the amazing thing about that is 13 communities in Wisconsin came together Hmm. to help build that and create that together. So you see this group of communities who, you know, some folks might think that things in the Midwest are a little backwards or whatever, (laughs) but they really like, uh, you know, joined forces and to create this, this solar farm, despite, you know, the, the headwinds that might be facing yeah. the renewable energy world right now. So it was really exciting to see happen. And, and we're hoping to re- replicate that with other communities. That's really both great. Both in Wisconsin and in other states. And was it only the farmer members of those communities or was it even a larger no, community? No, no, it was, the, this it was, was the like communities. The yeah, town absolutely. council yep. is involved. Yep. Oh, yes, that yep. can get tricky. Yeah, but everybody pushed through and Amazing. made it work in pretty short order. So uh-huh. it was, it was, it's exciting. That's really, really great. Do you, um, do you have any new projects that you're helping farmers develop in terms of innovation or something sort of unusual that's going on? You know, I wanted, uh, let me tell you a little bit about innovation on our farms. So a few years ago, we came out with a product that's 100% organic grass-fed milk. Mm-hmm. So we call it grass milk. Mm-hmm. And this is an innovation that really starts from the farm, and we took it to market. Uh-huh. We had farmers who said, you know what, I'm going to try not feeding any corn mm. or soy or grains to my cows, and I'm going to see how they do. Now, mm. I've learned this. So I'm going to teach you now. Yeah, let's hear it. Which is that, you know, uh, well, as a mom, a cow needs protein. Right. And so if you can imagine just walking out and eating your front lawn, you're not going to get a ton of protein, (laughs) right? Well, I don't know. I don't know what's in your front lawn, not my front lawn. (laughs) And so our farmers had to figure out how do you grow the right Mm. um, mix of pasture so that a mom, a cow mom can can generate enough energy. So they created this whole system on their farms. And then that turned into grass milk and brought it. We took that to market. So it's really an amazing story of our farmers are the ones who are doing the innovating Mm -hmm. rather than us putting something on them and asking them, you know, Oh, can you do this? They're really coming forward with the ideas and saying, I think we can do this. And I think we can take this to market. Mm -hmm. And it's an amazing product. We have grass milk, um, cheddar and yogurt awesome. and milk and it's you know our consumers just absolutely love it and it's really great so it's you know that's I think the kind of innovation that we want to be doing yeah and also that type of farming with with more diversity of crops has to be great for the soil and I'm sure have like lasting effects for the farm land itself yeah I mean the, the soil is beautiful we're doing studies now of the carbon sequestration mm-hmm. that happens on pasture mm-hmm. which is amazing And, you know, part of the whole natural ecosystem is that you have animals Mm -hmm. on the system. And so, you know, how that manure and everything gets worked back into the soil is really important for carbon sequestration. It makes the soil really living. So the bacteria there are holding onto the carbon. Mm -hmm. So in terms of climate change, pasture and grazing, I think are really a forefront Mm -hmm. that we need to study more and understand because that's a real key towards keeping that carbon in the soil Mm -hmm. where it should be. 
you know, it's interesting. I was just, I just got back from this incredible hiking trip in the Swiss Alps and I was paying a lot of attention to the pasture mm-hmm. and what the cows were eating as they're grazing up there at like 9,000 feet. And it is so diverse with so many different types of grasses and flowers and herbs. And you hear about that in cheese because the alpage cheeses of Switzerland are like, you know, the Mecca. Mm -hmm. But the thing that was interesting to me too was that I didn't see any erosion. You know, like these are steep, steep peaks and they're, the grass is all the way up. Like nothing is falling off. And I thought to myself like that is this sort of secondary thing that you might not notice at first, but that, is really means for a healthy soil. And I also recently heard an interesting talk about in this era of extreme weather with a lot of like heavy downpours that when you have organic soil, it holds rainwater much differently than when it's not organic, which has implications for flooding roads, traffic mitigation pattern. You know, there's all these like ways that communities are kind of battling issues that can come back to how farming is done nearby, which is wild. So where I live in Wisconsin, we've had, I, I'm kidding you not, Elena, in the last 10 years, we've had six or seven 500-year floods. Mm. And to watch what happens on the soil that is not cared for, mm. the water just runs right off of it. So it you know, runs right into the creek. The creek overflows. It rips everything apart. Roads get torn apart. Right. And, and houses get destroyed. Right. It's just been Huge completely devastating. to the community. But then you see an organic soil, and it is. It's like a sponge. Yeah. So the water just goes through it and slowly filters through it. The pasture that's on top of it, we've, we've done some studies. The roots are six feet deep. Hmm. So it's just amazing to that's see incredible. how these roots are really going way down. And I want to come back to the, the cows for a second. What you saw in the Alps and what they're eating mm-hmm. is so part of their natural behavior. Right. They are, you know, the, what I've recently learned is the cows go out and they eat as much as they can. Right away. Right. And then they go lay down and yeah. they chew their cud. Right. And that's why they have four stomachs because they mm-hmm. hang out in the long grass because they're like wildebeest right. back in the day. <laughs> and they lay down and they're able to relax and be calm and have their um, their meal for yeah. like six hours a day. They yeah, do it's a that big day. activity. Yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> so, you know, to think about how do you foster that whole kind of a system, and that's really what organic is based on. It's really mm-hmm. based on creating a whole system that's integrated and works together so that all of those pieces, the soil, the plants, become healthy animals, and that creates healthy um, food totally. for us to consume. Totally. Yeah. Oh, wow. I want to go get some milk. I know, right? <laughs> I feel that way a lot after the, after taping this show, but today especially. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, cutting the curd and having fantastic cheese is really important. It's extremely important. Yeah. Um, okay, so as we get to the end of our episode today, I have two final questions. Uh, one is, it sort of relates to maybe to your new post, your soon-to-be post um, as CEO of the uh, WEDC the Wisconsin Economic <laughs> Development like Corp. We thought it also sounded like a radio station, which was fun. Uh, but how can our listeners stay up to date on the more sort of legislative government side of all of this? Because I think a lot of times people are looking for leadership. They're looking for clarity in terms of, you know, if, if the organic 
uh, you know, symbol is threatened, how can consumers comment or, you know, like where, what do you think is the best way for people to stay on top of things that those conversations that might be happening a little bit in the background, but enough that people might be able to find out? You know, I think I think the most important thing that consumers and shoppers and eaters can do is vote with their dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity to comment with the government on so many different issues, mm-hmm. and that can be frustrating and hard. But if you know that the food that you're putting onto your table is food that you believe in and that you've done some research on and you think about and and you're excited about it and you're excited to give it to your kids Mm -hmm. and to your family, that's the best way because then the retailers are going to see, oh, our consumers care about this kind right. of a food. They get and if, the you're really, if you're really looking for the people who have power, right, you go to those big corporations, right. you know, the Amazons or the Publix or, you know, wherever mm-hmm. you're shopping, Safeway. And I think that's the most important thing is to really get you, then you get those big companies mm-hmm. backing you. Right. And so, you know, we can, we can all do our part to participate with our congressmen and our senators and, and you know, calling. But I think really voting mm-hmm. with your dollars ends up being... Um, super, super important. It sounds a little um, <laughs> self-serving to say that, so I want to call that out. Uh, but then yeah, at the same time, I'm also going to be the head of Wisconsin know, Economic Development, yeah. and we need to keep the farmers on the farms. They need to get sustainable prices because that helps our rural communities. Right. And you know, having really strong rural communities is also really important for you sitting here in Brooklyn right. and making sure you're getting really the food that you want to have and that totally. Roberta's wants to serve. So all of this is really, we're all part of one big system. It's we're so all true. learning that, right? That's right. what climate change is really like. Hello, people. You're, you're all connected. part of one big thing. So <laughs> this is all why, you know, when you're going to the store, you know, just because, you know, mm-hmm. you you want to be able to have that food, you need to participate in the good food movement also. Yeah, that's great. I think it's true. And I think it's also pretty easy. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it's easier than trying to navigate the, uh, the local community meetings. That's for sure. Well, let alone it's really important for your... humans to learn how to work together. Also. Yes. So, very you know, true. You have to do everything, I guess. But yeah. A little bit no, of it all. The, the best you can do is just buy some good cheese for your family. I think. Awesome. Yeah. Speaking of cheese, we haven't talked that much about cheese no. and I'm curious if you have a favorite cheese or if you've recently eaten a cheese that you enjoyed. Um, I absolutely really love, we have a new, um, shredded cheese. Mm-hmm. That's this, like, it's this, it looks like little fingers in the bag. It's thick shredded cheese <laughs> thick sh- and it's fantastic for pizzas and for quesadillas and okay. things like that. So that's actually my new favorite. It's your go-to. Um, Recently, I went to an amazing farm-to-table dinner mm-hmm. at a place called Uplands Dairy in Wisconsin. Oh, we know Uplands well. We know Uplands. Well. And so I, had, I got to taste like three different oh, yeah. um, Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheeses. And it was really to have them explain to me and have the cheesemaker and the farmer mm-hmm. standing there explaining like, this is what we did for this one. This is what we did. This. It's just the education about it was yeah. incredible. So that's my favorite right at the moment. But, you know, my go-to is, is going to be this shredded cheese. Nice. Well, also grass-fed, that Uplands cheese. Yeah. So there you oh, go. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's On where theme. I saw the most amazing pasture, and it was really fun. to. And that's what I learned, that the cows go and lay down and, yeah. and you know, and hang out. chew their chew cud. Their cud <laughs> while they're gossiping. Yeah, I think they really do. Yeah. Right? They have a secret language. It seems like it. Yeah. Well, Missy, thank you so much for joining me on air today. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Awesome. And congratulations on your new post. I'll be back to talk to you guys more about yes. that, I hope. Yes, definitely. I'm very excited about that. Great. 
Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this week's show. Please keep the conversation going by reaching out to us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Cutting the Curd, or shoot us an, e- an email at CuttingTheCurd at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week with more Cutting the Curd. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.